Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right. Good morning, everybody. All right. I'm going to ask that if you're here and you don't mind, if you don't mind and if you're not super committed to the seat you're in, I would love it if, ever, if we could have a couple people in the splash zone today, only because this is a story that takes place in a little more intimate, sort of closer environment. So if you are willing to, I would love to have some people a little more comfortable. I'm taking, I'm, I'm going to try something a little uncomfortable on my end. I'm not going to have a podium. And I don't know if you've ever spoken in front of people before, but not having something like a comfortable something right here is a little bit of a challenge for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right. Thank you. Um, so good morning. If you are new to our community, I just want to say Welcome. I'm going to fix this or it's going to drive me nuts and I'm not going to be paying attention to anything I say all the time. So um, last week we talked about the res- resurrection and we talked about this, this, Im- this invitation to come up and see Christ when he was next to the lake. And we talked about that six to ten-ish a day walk and how the disciples would have had to recount all of the things that they had just gone through. And we, and we talked about doubting Thomas. And we talked about how we see ourselves and, and how so often we are called to re-enter that narrative. How we are called to actually see that resurrection is not just something that happened once, but it is something that happens. That in Christ, things that are dead that are beyond repair. Sorry, I can hear the ring. So if you guys ever think, does, does the pastor hear what's happening? We always do. We just have something that we have to say. So I'm going to address it. I know that it is ringing. Okay, before we start, I want to tell you all a story about something that happened this week. So it was spring break in my house, and I'm now starting every year that spring break and summer happens. As a kid, you don't always know why there's such a happiness in parents when school's about to come to an end. And then there's an equal and sometimes greater happiness when summer's coming to an end. And I never really got, I'm like, why are parents always so happy to like send their kids off? And I'm just like, spring break is coming to a close. I get to get my kids back into school. It will be fantastic. But um, one of the things that I chose to do was I was like, I had a COVID project that got put on pause. Once I realized that it was not a like, okay, by April, we're going to kick this COVID thing, April 2020, a lot of projects got started and they didn't get completed. And so I had a um, breakfast nook that I had built but not painted. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to paint that. And so I got all of the things out. I put down the drop cloth, and I was like, this is an easy enough project that I can include Era, who's my seven-and-a-half-year-old Tasmanian child. Um, And I was like, I need to find something to do with her, and she loves painting. And so 
as I'm kind of bringing the breakfast nook out, I see that she's starting to get nervous. And she's, you never have to wonder what Sierra's ever thinking or feeling. She makes sure you know. Um, and I could tell that she was starting to get nervous. And I was like, okay, what's happening? And so I kind of try to be a good parent and I get I down and I'm like, what's going on? And she, she was like, well, you're not going to be very happy with me. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I, what's about to happen, but I pull it out and I see what is about a two year stash of vitamins. And I'm telling, I'm not, and you would think that we like torture her and we get these homeopathic, disgusting, but these are the like, these are the like our patch kids. They're covered in sugar. I'm like, we got these because you told us these are the ones you like. And so she's hiding them for a long time. And I'm telling you, we could have given a nutrients to entire continents for the amount of things that were tucked behind this. And I see her. And, and I was like, what's happening here? And so I sweep it away. And she will often say this thing. She says, I don't want to tell you because I'm worried I'll get in trouble. And I was like, OK. She usually starts a sentence that way, telling on herself very early on. And I realized in our house, we're not heavy-handed with punishments or anything. Um, but I realized what happened in her is what happened what has happened in me and what often s still happens that when I know my behavior is off, I know that I've done something that I shouldn't do, it's that I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. It's that feeling that my behavior has somehow taken the amount of love that you might have for me, made it smaller. That something that I've done will actually distance us, that something that was really sweet or pure before is broken somehow, that I really think that that's the thing that, that children, but also us, were so worried about, because a punishment is just something that you have to endure. You just have to get through it. But that feeling that there's something broken that's not repairing is in all of us. And that's that hard and heavy thing. And today, I want to talk about John chapter 21, because this really takes us to our text. So if you have a Bible, would you open to John chapter 21? And I'm going to read out of the NIV today. This is John chapter 21. It says, After, uh, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciple by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Idemus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Ebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, 
they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because the large number of fish. Then a disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now, uh, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had Finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered and said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of a death by which Peter would glorify a God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among, among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So I want to talk a little bit about this story. Um, and I, I don't know if any of you are actual fisher men or women, but I grew up in a place where we actually had an opening a day where you would go, and it was there was a trout derby, and I still follow all of my hometown places, and people post pictures of themselves with ish, and so I get the phrase, I'm going fishing. But I actually think that this is 
This is something that is happening here where if, if you look here in chapter 21, verse 3, he says, I'm going out to fish. When I would go home, and I'm not sure if any of you have had the um, privilege of meeting my dad, but um, he is not one of many words. And when things get really complicated or heated, um, he goes, I'm going to go work on the cars. <laughs> I, I'm getting out of here. Like, I, there's something that I know how to do well. There's something that is familiar to me. I'm going to go work on the cars. And as a kid, I just thought, man, my dad really loves working on cars. <laughs> but um, I realized that when things get hectic and when things stop making sense, and when all of a sudden your normal has been jostled, that all of us have a place that we retreat to. We all have something comfortable. We all have something familiar. My dad was, was both good at fixing people's cars. That's what he has for his work. He knew it could be helpful, but also it was his place to go when things got too complicated. He knew that even if he couldn't handle the, the anxiousness in our home, he knew how to take a tool and fix a problem and be under a car, and that was a place where it was safe and comfortable for him. And I think those are actually great places to have. Those aren't horrible places, but often what happens is we turn to those comfortable places. We turn to those comfortable places at the very moment where we need to hang on for one more night, one more moment, that our capacity for what is uncomfortable needs to be extended out just a little bit more. What if... God could upset your normal routine just for a moment to have us pay attention. Because sometimes I think, what would have happened here if he would have taken this group of men to go fishing and he would have just caught all of the fish? How differently the entire history of the church may have been if that night he said, okay, I know how to fish, and I don't know what's happening with this whole resurrection thing, but I, I, I know that I'm comfortable enough to get on my boat and go out. Now, if he would have just caught all of the fish that night, and the person yelled on the shore, throw your net into the other side, he'd have said, we got it, don't worry, we caught all of our fish fish. Thanks so much. But what happens very often is that the, the things that we know how to do, our normal routines often get dis, disrupted for just enough time for us to pay attention and tune in. Because it said here, he says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So we even see here, Peter's leadership exists and it is powerful so much so that other people are like, hey, 
you're going out, we will too. Now, when um, in, in the first entry here, the ways that they would fish would be actually at night, so like midnight to 6 a.m., and they would cast their nets when the water was really still. They'd get down, and I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but it's this net with weights all on it, and they throw it out, and it lands at the same time, drops, and they pick up their ish. And then he says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And they caught nothing that night before. It's actually pretty rare that you would catch nothing. That had to be something was interrupted. Something was paused. Some, something that they were familiar at, these were, they were good at this. This was their comfortable area. This was where they went when nothing else made sense. For, for them to catch nothing is important. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And the NIV actually doesn't do a great job here because the word here is actually the Greek word paidon. And that's little boys. Little boys, haven't you any fish? He's not addressing them as, as peers. He's saying children. And that was a particular word used for children in training. Saying, boys, haven't you any fish? And you're, and you're aching about these pros on this boat who have just had a very frustrating evening. And they said, no. And he says, throw your net on the right side. And I'm thinking, maybe you're... Wheels are turning. Haven't we heard this before? We have heard this before. This is from Luke 5. This is how he called them to start. And then John turns to Peter and says, it is the Lord in the moment. I love Peter so much, and I'll explain why, but he's in the boat, and they've just caught all these Ish, and then John turns to Peter and says, it's the a Lord. And Peter is the king of the like, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go. And he, so he throws on his outer garment. And it says that he throws himself into the lake. Not a dive. This isn't a pretty like, oh, I'm going to like do something. He just kind of tosses himself in the water. But you have to also think there are like six other people there who are like, okay, we just caught all this fish. We could really use the help. <laughs> like we could use the help to kind of load these up. And Peter just goes, it's Jesus. And like pieces out. And I'm just like, it is the forest come scene where he just jumps off the thing. And then the ship like rams into the thing. I'm like, that's Peter. Um, I grew up in a place where off-road driving is a thing. Has anybody here driven off-road? You have to have a particular kind of truck and tires. Okay, 
I'm assuming if you have driven off road before, you've had a similar experience, but let me explain how this works. If you're stuck, the first thing you don't want to do is rev your car a lot. You have to, the minute you know that you're stuck, the first thing you should do is stop and say, okay, I have to get pieces of wood, wedge them under, do whatever you have to do. Because the minute you know you are stuck and you spin your wheels, what, what will happen? You'll lower and you'll get stuck deeper and deeper. And Peter is the quintessential person that says, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. Um, actually, I will deny him three times. Actually, I'm going to run to the tomb. Actually, I don't know about this. I'm going to go fishing. Oh, it's Jesus jumping in the water. Like, he is the person who's just like, I don't know, rev to push harder on on the engine. Let's go, let's go. And we don't understand. And there are some times that I ask, why did Jesus choose Peter to be the rock on which he would build his church? There's Andrew, right? Andrew has a consistent, he just took people and he said, I'm going to take you to Jesus. That was Andrew's whole thing. He said, you want to see him? And he would take him over here. And I thought, that's the person you want to build your church, is the quiet person that just says, let me introduce you to who he is. He says, no, it's Peter. It's this person who just perpetually says, I don't know, but I just want to go and do it. I don't know. And I think, how is it that he would actually be addressed here. And it's beautiful because Jesus is on the shore about 100 yards out, and he already has fish cooking. He doesn't even need their fish. The interesting part is that he has it all prepared. He doesn't need what you bring, but he invites you anyway. He says, bring what you have, but I, I have everything here for you. And we only eat breakfast with people we like. He's already saying, come and eat, but I have everything. I have all the things that we would need for this. Then, after he's done eating, we have this beautiful three-part, Peter, do you love me. Now, Peter isn't too far removed from having three opportunities to affirm his love for Jesus, right? He's had three opportunities, and three times he said, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. That's playing in Peter's head. Every morning that he hears a rooster, it's playing in his head, repeat. I denied him. I denied him. I'm worthless. I just need to go do something I'm familiar with. Jesus takes this opportunity. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the context points out that it could either have been him saying, okay, you were really priding your health and saying, even if everybody else falls away, I will never leave you. 
Jesus could be saying, Simon, do you love me more than these others who are here? Or he could be saying, Simon, do you love me more than the boats, the nets, all of the things that you're familiar with? Do you love me more than all of that? Do you love me more than these things that you have ran to? And Peter is given an opportunity three times. And I think it's beautiful because I think that Jesus had the opportunity to forgive Peter, which would have been perfectly fine. He, he could have forgiven him and said, okay, let me, um, you're still g- g- going to be the rock on which I build my church. But Jesus takes it to the next point and he says, I want to restore Peter. Jesus was giving Peter a chance to move forward, to move on with his life. Because had he not given him this opportunity, he would have carried that shame with him everywhere he went. Jesus will often, and I don't know why it is, but I have a suspicion that the place where you are wounded will be the exact place Christ will call you to restore. And I hate it. It's, I think it's horrible. If he was smart like me, he would pick other things, right? <laughs> so, but I think that there's something to it where all of this, and I think that what Christ knew is that the church would have needed somebody to say, I know, like, to have been in those places. Because what happens is if we have leaders who have never been through it, we, they can't talk to us. It's really hard to take leadership from a person who's never been to that point. And I think that what Christ is up to here is he's saying, I need Peter to be fully restored, fully confident that my love in him is genuine, and I want him to have an opportunity for himself to be freed from the bondage of that shame that he's covering himself up with, and he's painting it up and saying, I just need to go fishing. I just need to go back on the boat. And even still here, even after... Jesus has provided this miracle, and he said, I am going to commission you the same way that I called you. Peter says, well, what about him? What about these other people? And he says, we're not talking about him right now. We're talking about you. What about my friend? What about my spouse? What about my child? We're not talking about him right now. We're talking about you. I'm calling you. So I think sometimes we have to think about our own woundings. Take a a moment. Where's that unhealed wound you have? Maybe it's a wound that you've contributed to. Maybe it's a habit that, that you just rev your engines on all the time and your wheels get lower and lower and then you have to have this very shameful conversation with the person coming to tow you out like 
sorry, <laughs> that's all on me. And I think that sometimes, even if it is all on you, even if you do have to own up to things, one of the beautiful things is that Jesus says, we will own up to your things. You will own up to it. There's a, um, there's a, a clinical psychologist who's been in the, the field for about 45 years, and his quote that I thought was really interesting, he said, in 45, in 45 years of work, I've never seen anybody get away with anything not once. And I thought that was so interesting. Even if it comes around in some other ways, it pops up. And I think that Christ also says, I want to free you, not just in forgiveness, but I want to restore you in the exact place that you've been hurt. And I want you to use that as a tool to actually bring other people that will need to know that you've been in those places. Because I think that when we can do that, then we can have true empathy. What gifts or talents or wisdom do you have now that you can offer to somebody that's along the path that you're on? Is there anybody that you see that wants to become more of like what you are now? Would your love and encouragement be an answer to somebody else's prayer? In what ways can we offer that? What Ways can we model the kinds of coming kingdom that we want to see to offer people restoration? And the truth of it is that that might not always be possible, and that's something to grieve. And I think we should always be asking ourselves and kind of putting ourselves and posturing ourselves and saying, do I at least hope for restoration, even if, it's, even if it feels impossible? Is that something that my hope is that something that my heart hopes for? Because sometimes, I know for me, I don't always hope that. I want, I want that person to pay. I want them to know how right I am. But I don't want to restore. And I think that when we are in that place, I want to move my heart and say, Lord, would you shape me to become the kind of person that would hope to restore all the things? to restore people that are broken, to restore people who I've hurt. How can I be a part of that? And maybe we have some, maybe we have some repenting for the bitterness that we hold on to like a, a weapon. Maybe we have some grieving that we need to do. And so when I look at the restoration of Peter, I just think, what is Christ calling you to? What areas of brokenness is he trying to speak to you that maybe we have just retreated into what is familiar so quickly that we won't endure that hard, lonely night where after he'll call us and say, I want to restore that part of you. Has anything that is familiar to you stopped 
working because maybe it's a God in that place calling you to come to the end of your rope because God is at the end of your rope. Maybe God is saying, come to the end of your rope. Let those things that are familiar stop working. And so next week, we will actually go back through and we will look at the Great Commission and we will look at how we've taken a verse that is actually terrifying if you read it as it's meant to be read and we will open that up as well. Um, As we close out today, we have an opportunity to come to the table. If you are new to our community, we do the bitter herbs, and that is to remind us of all those ways that we get trapped in our revving our engines over and over and over again, and we have to taste the bitterness of sin and death, and that when we come from there, we come to the table where it says, my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. Can I ask whoever's serving communion to come forward And then would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are in the process of restoring all things to yourself. I thank you for the compassion and grace that you have, Lord, for all the ways that we hide in our own shame because we're afraid of being seen. Lord, would we see you as a, a God that longs to be restorative and that you are overflowing with grace and mercy that we would come to you as we are and say, Lord, could you accept what I have and to see that you have already prepared a meal for us to enter in, that you are a, a God of abundance. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your son, and we ask that you would take what we've heard today, that you'd shape our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.